Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Curry. Curry driving with wall back goes reverse with a left hand. It was so weak. This is Warriors Roundtable with the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Stops, change direction, step back on Berea, still dribbling, still trying to find a place of rhythm. Waits gets a pick from Green, gets the screen, deep three left side, got it! He wanted that shot, he got that shot, he nailed that shot. Low entry on the bounce to Landry, turns and faces up on Pekovic, shot clock at five, swings the ball through, one dribble to the paint, turns, shoots, hit! Tough shot. Timeout, T-Wolves. 2.49 to go. The lead is 12. And they rise as one at Oracle. Well, the Golden State Warriors close out that win against the Minnesota Timberwolves. That was last Saturday night, last time the Warriors hit the hardwood at Golden State with that victory. Off to an 8-6 and six start, which is a good start when you consider that Andrew Bogut has not been on the floor, albeit just for a few minutes in a couple of different games. And, of course, Brandon Rush is out for the season. Hi, Tim Roy, and welcome to the show. And one of the reasons why I mentioned Brandon Rush is that his injury has opened a door for one of our guests tonight, Draymond Green. The rookie out of Michigan State has played very well, and he is such an astute student of the game that head coach Mark Jackson says he envisions Draymond being a head coach in the NBA someday. He hasn't even played half of his rookie season, and yet the coaching staff is so confident in sending Draymond Green out there, whether it be to get a key defensive stop at the end of a contest or to bring him out to guard the other team's best player. Uh, Draymond Green is getting a lot of love and a lot of respect from Mark Jackson and his staff. Draymond will join us. We'll also go back to draft night because I want you to hear again the comments from Tom Izzo. He's the head coach at Michigan State, if you don't know, and, of course, a legendary basketball coach. He's taken the Spartans to numerous Final Fours, and he loves Draymond, and he will tell us how he used Draymond his final year to benefit the squad. It's going to be very interesting to hear that comment now that we've seen Draymond play as an NBA player for a little while. Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors giving back to the Bay Area during this holiday season. I'll answer some of your questions on Warriors Vox off of Twitter, and it's a must-win tomorrow night for the Golden State Warriors after Draymond dropping the first of two of the four games set to the Denver Nuggets. Then two more home games before the Warriors go on the road. The first one is against the Indiana Pacers, and that's on Saturday night. Mike Wells of the Indianapolis Star will come by and preview the Pacers for us. And then on Monday night, the new-look Orlando Magic come to town. Josh Robbins is the beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel, and he'll tell us what the plan is for the Magic. And then the Warriors go on their season-long seven-game road trip. It starts on the 4th with a flight to Detroit, ends on the 15th, and Game 1 is, of course, against the Pistons at the Palace. And Vincent Goodwill of the Detroit News will tell us what's happening with the Pistons after an 0-8 start. It's all this hour on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy. Don't you dare go away on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Lee in the bounce. Cuts off and takes the hand off. Baseline to the rack. Jandon and one. Foul. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Curry fakes, finds lead, foul line, rotation, Draymond Green, it's a three and it's good! Golden State with a 10-point lead after trailing by 13, it's 81-71. We continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy, don't forget tomorrow night, Warriors and Denver start to 7 o'clock on KBR 680. I'll be joined by Jim Barnett on the radio-only coverage here in the Bay Area and along the Golden State Warriors radio network. And Welcoming rookie Draymond Green to the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, your first journey here. We appreciate the time and, and uh, obviously pretty exciting stuff for you in, in recent games. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. But, yes, yeah, very exciting, you know, just getting the opportunity to, to contribute and try to help the team win in any way possible. So, you know, it started off kind of slow, but, you know, as the as the time has went on, getting more minutes, it's been very exciting and just, you know, trying to do whatever it is on the floor that I can possibly do to help this team out. Well, fans, broadcasters, uh, journalists, uh, and sometimes even players will glaze their eyes a little bit when coaches say, hey, you have to stay ready. You have to be ready. You know, you never know when your time's going to be called. And, and, and albeit, you know, you were already uh, coming in as a defensive specialist for Mark Jackson in, in some of the early games, but with Brandon Rush out for the year, 
And now Richard Jefferson on the mend. All of a sudden, there's plenty of minutes there for Draymond Green, and, and you've responded to that. Obviously, obviously, you know, you weren't really overwhelmed with it all. Oh, definitely. I mean, Coach came up to me before the first game and said, this is an 82-game season, and you don't know when your time is going to come, but I can guarantee you it's going to come. Just make sure you're ready when it do come. So, you know, I just kind of stayed in the mindset of, you know, whatever, whenever I get in the game, whether it's for 20 seconds, 20 minutes, whatever it was, that I'm going to be ready and bring the same energy that I would bring at any time. And unfortunately, Brandon Rush went down, and, you know, Richard Jefferson is kind of bruised up right now. You know, you hate to see that happen, but at the same time, they always say if a guy go down, someone has to step up and, you know, try to make up for what he does. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, with those guys going down, I try to bring something, a little of something of what those guys bring to the team. When you come in, especially toward the end of quarters and end of halves, end of games, as a as a defensive uh, stopper for Mark Jackson, are you aware of who you're going to guard, or or sometimes is that a surprise when you come off the bench? Uh, sometimes it's a surprise to me. You know, he just tells me when I'm going in the game, hey, you got him. You know, for instance, when we were playing here, he told me, kind of shocked me. He said, you're going in, you got Andre Miller. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's who's making all the plays, point guard. But, you know, I just knew no matter what the situation was, I had to be ready to lock him down. So, you know, it's it's kind of a surprise here and there when I'm going in and who I'm going to have. But sometimes they tell me in practice, you know, you're possibly going to be guarding this guy, whoever it may be. Have you had uh, an oh, wow type of moment as to uh, somebody you've been matched up on? Um, I think the only oh, wow I've had is – Kevin Durant putting a triple-double on me and Harrison Head. That's about it. Um, you know, we were kind of mad about that. I mean, he's a great player, and you never want to get those kind of stats put up against you. And, you know, it was kind of a while because we actually thought we was doing a pretty good job on him, and then you look up and the guy got a triple-double. Well, you know what? Uh, I think you're in a very long line of uh, thinking you're doing a good job on that guy and having him put up great numbers because he's just he's just a beast, and he is uh, – He's a rare player. I mean, you know, he's really a once-in-a-lifetime type of player. Uh, definitely. He definitely is, you know, with the size, the athleticism that he has, but the way he shoots the ball as well. Were you a little nervous at the beginning of the year shooting the ball? Um, Yes. I, it wasn't that I was so nervous. as It was kind of my legs weren't under me, so I'm rushing my shot. And, you know, then you get to thinking about every shot and, you know, trying to guide the ball in. So it wasn't as much nervousness as – you know, it was just me simply not having my legs under me. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's, it's interesting because it seemed like you got through your first, say, seven or eight games, and then all of a sudden with, with those injuries and the more minutes, it's almost you could just see you start to relax a little bit on the floor and, and just start to play basketball. Uh, yes, you know, it became that time and point where, you know, I started to get more comfortable. And then I said something to Fessers on the bench about making a mistake and not doing something, and Charles Jenkins heard me. He said, remind me to tell you something after the game. And Charles came up to me. I asked him what he wanted to tell me. He said, remember what got you here. You know, the things that you did to get drafted and be in this position, that's why they drafted you to do those things. So don't be out there so scared to make a mistake because when you try to not to make a mistake, that's when you're going to make the mistake. So, you know, I think those words that Charles Jenkins had for me really helped me out a lot and just made me settle down and play my game. Yeah, it's funny. It's a funny thing about the NBA, and I don't think it gets talked about enough, is that there is sort of a bond, even for guys who are vying for minutes, the veterans. And, and Charles is, you know, he's mature beyond his years. I mean, he has the uh, the – the the structure of a, a ten year veteran, not a second year pro, but but it's funny how the, and and you'll find it. You're going to be saying the same thing to somebody someday too. And, and is that this league passes on the knowledge, it passes on the the knowledge and the little tips to help the younger players get through. And we're we're talking with Draymond Green here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, taken uh, by Golden State in the draft at number thirty five. And Mark Jackson has said at least a dozen times so far this year that he couldn't believe you were on the board at thirty five. Uh, let's go back to that day a little bit. Were, was that a, a a nervous type of day, or, or how did you spend the day? Um, I mean, definitely nervous. I, I wouldn't necessarily say nervous, but just wondering, you know, where am I going to end up? And, you know, I spent the day, I worked out earlier in the day, and just, you know, did some running around to try to keep my mind off of it. And then I spent, you know, the, the draft with family and friends and, you know, just trying to do something to stay relaxed. But, you know, as the draft continues to go on and you're wondering, you're projected to go here, and then you see that that doesn't happen. It's like, okay, 
where am I going to fall? And, you know, I was blessed to fall to a team that, you know, actually wanted me and didn't just choose me because I was sitting there. Yeah, it's funny because n- now it's, you know, as, as you went on to Summer League, and I remember watching one of our games Summer League, and Steve Kerr, who I respect, and I've known Steve for, for decades, he has said on and goes, I don't know what position Draymond Green plays, but I know I want him on the floor. And and to me, that that's your strength is that you can play a variety of different positions, and you can you know you can play a big or play a small, and 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 know what you're supposed to do at those spots. And and where where did you come across you know that ability to play different positions and know different positions? Um. Well, I mean, first off, you know you have to know the game, and you know I think that really all started with my uncle. Um, teaching me the game as a kid instead of just rolling the basketballs out and telling us to go play. He actually made us learn the game. And, you know, as the years went on, you know, my uncle always had me. I was always a bigger kid. My uncle had me working on my ball handling. You know, I was a center. I brought the ball up, played point guard on offense, all those things. So, you know, that kind of helped me out. And then, you know, going through middle school, guys, kind they kind of wanted me to be a big man, and I was still versatile, so I kind of did things here and there. And I got to high school my first couple of years. I was strictly a power forward, and I started to expand my game more and more my junior year, and Coach Dawkins was all in favor. Even, you know, we had a guy who's 6'10", 6'11", legit center. He had us working on ball handling and all those different things. Then when I went to play for the family AAU team going into my senior year, that's when it all really changed and Coach Speedy Walker was like, listen, if you're going to make it to the NBA, you got the talent, you got the skill, you got the brain. If you're going to make it, man, you got to work on your jump shot, you got to work on your body, you got to do all these things so you can run around and chase some wins because you're not a big man in the league. And, you know, as I got to Michigan State, I, you know, I worked on those things in high school, and as I got to Michigan State, I kept trying to expand, kept trying to expand. And Coach Izzo, with Coach Izzo's system, with me playing the four, I was still able to do those things, and I only got smarter as I got there. And, you know, that's really kind of what helped me out. And then coming here, you know, to come to Coach Jackson, and he would see me doing some things like, oh, man, I'm a four, man. He'd tell me, hey, don't forget you can play the three. And he'll see me doing some things at the, at the three and tell me, don't forget you can play the four. And just keep me in that mindset to knowing you can play any position on the floor. Just make sure you're ready to do those things and make sure you're working on them. Well, Tom Izzo, and we're going to replay part of our conversation uh, from draft night when I, I spoke to Coach Izzo after the Warriors had selected you. And, and he was telling me that, that he put you in a position, too, where you were kind of a, a point for for a while. Definitely. He he put me in those positions a lot. Um, starting with my sophomore year, really, when Kalen Lucas went down, you know, I had to, I was the guy who, if team presses, he's putting the ball in my hands to break the press. You know, if we're running the offense through me, and really since my sophomore year, and just really put me in a position where I had to make a ton of decisions. And, of course, my senior year, you know, me and Keith Applin made the majority of the decisions. Now, you're from Saginaw, and we've talked about Saginaw before on this show with a guy by the name of Jason Richardson who played with the Golden State Warriors. Now, now you wear 23 because of Jay Rich? Uh, I mean, I've always loved 23, and, you know, just going growing up, you know, I liked 23 a lot. Of course, that all inspiring from Michael Jordan. And then I went to 32, and, you know, once I left high school, I, I was number 32, and number 32 was retired at Michigan State. So I said, you know, I'm going to flip the numbers and go back to 23. And it got some significance. You know, Jason Richardson from Saginaw Award at at Michigan State. Kelvin Tauber from Flint. You got Saginaw-Flint Connection Award at at Michigan State. So, you know, I can kind of keep the tradition going. And, you know, coming here, that was my number in college. So, of course, I wanted to keep it. And just so happened Jason Richardson was drafted to the same team and wore the same number as well. You know, and, and it is a tough town. What, what's what's the difference? Why why do people like you and Jason are able to get out of that and, and some other kids can't? Oh, you know, I think the main thing is, you know, Jason Richardson and, my, and myself, you know, we both have great mothers. You know, we had great family members that, you know, great. I've had a great father raising me and, you know, Jason's uncles and, you know, all, all the family. I think our family has really did done a great job of keeping keeping us away from the negative things that go on in the city of Saginaw and you know really having that great support system to where you know those things don't get to you as much now regardless you walking down the street it's there but you know you have that family my mom scared me away from those things and you got you know when you have that type of support system to keep pulling you away from it you know I think that's the main thing you have so many kids who 
you know, their mothers aren't going to be on them as tough as our mothers was or, you know, father or uncle. You know, my uncle was played a big part in my life, my grandfather, my grandmother. You know, just having that support system to where no matter what the situation is, they're there and they're pulling you out of it. Now, your bio says you worked as a janitor at a middle school in Saginaw? Yes. Um, when I was in middle school, I worked in beginning of high school a couple of years I worked as a janitor just you know wanting to have some extra money to have a little fun or you know pay a cell phone bill or whatever it was just get a new pair of shoes you know mom couldn't really support that all the time so sometimes you have to learn how to do it on your own. Draymond Green is our guest on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go through them all here uh, how'd you get the nickname Day Day? Well coming up as a kid my brother was I mean, my brother's two years older than me, but, you know, when we were growing up, he really couldn't talk, and he used to talk, he used to roll his tongue on every word he said, and he couldn't couldn't speak that well, and, you know, when I was first born, he couldn't say Draymond, he couldn't say Dre, he used to say Day, and he just used to constantly say Day, 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 and the name Day Day just came about, and it just stuck with me my entire life. Hey, we're talking with Draymond Green. A couple of weeks ago, I, w- I was in the locker room, and I was asking Harrison Barnes about the game on the aircraft carrier, and, and he went to in between North Carolina and Michigan State. And he goes, wow, it's just another win for Carolina. You know how those <laughs> <things are. laughs> But what was that? what was that experience like? That was a great experience, um, you know, just to be able to play on the aircraft carrier, the first ever game, college basketball game played outside, the first, you know, ever game played on a, a ship, like that, you know, with the president there, with all the stars you had there, with the wounded warriors you had there, you know, the wounded soldiers, you know, everything that was there just made the environment that much better. To be playing against Carolina at that time, they're the number one seed coming into the season. And we had a young team, like I told Harrison, we played them two weeks later, we beat them by 20. But, you know, since we played them, you know, coming into the season, I had more points and more minutes played combined than my entire team. So we were still figuring everything out, and you know, it was, but it was a great game, a great experience, and I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. As we get back to the to the Warriors right now, uh, eight and six so far through fourteen games, and obviously there's a couple of games I'm sure you guys would like to have back: the game in Sacramento, the game at home against Denver. Uh, but eight and six with Andrew Bogut, you know, not playing a lot, and Brandon Rush out—that's a pretty good start. Um, I think it's a decent start, but you know, we we definitely came into this season with high hopes for ourselves, and you know, just bigger dreams and bigger goals. So you know, we're not around here going crazy, jumping for joy, saying we're eight and six. You know, we say, hey, we're off to a pretty good start. Now let's build on that record and not go the other way. You know, especially in the Western Conference, you know, you always hear. Oh, hey, Kevin Love was out, or hey, this guy was out when y'all played them. But you never hear, you know, Brandon Rush out and Andrew Bogus been out for, what, 12 or 11 or 12 of the 14 games. And those two or three games he did play, maybe 60, 50, 60 percent. So you never hear that. But, you know, we're never going to make excuses. We're just going to keep on grinding and grinding. And, you know, hopefully we'll get Bogus back sometime soon. And if not, you know, we just have to keep on doing what we've been doing and just keep working together as a team. Well, there's no question about that. Every every year for every team, it's all about injuries, and everybody gets banged up at some point. So you can't you can't really count uh, discount that. Uh, I have to ask you though, there's something about this team. It's an intangible. It's it, it's there's something there that has allowed them to win games when they haven't really played all that well. What do you think that is? I think you know this, especially you know with our coaching staff. But it, you know you, you brought new guys in, and then you have guys here who were winners and just really didn't have the pieces around them. And you know I think our management has done a great job, you know, coaching staff, of putting the right pieces together. And you know, as the Warriors have always been this team who everybody wants to see play simply because it's going to be an offensive running gun, and they're going to put all these shots up, and you're going to get to see this guy do this and this guy do that. Well, yeah, we still want to get out and run, but the main thing we're hanging our hats on this year is defense. And in order to win games, you have to play defense. You have to lock down, and you know, that's why our defensive um, numbers are up. Our rebounding numbers are up because that's what we're making a conscious effort to make sure we do those things, and it's working out for us so far. We can keep on getting better at those things, and as we get better, you know, our our standards, we're going to get better in the standards. Our team is going to get better, and we're just going to keep on improving as a team. Draymond, I know there's three home games before the first road game. 
of the longest road trip of the year. And the reason I mentioned the first road game is because it's in Detroit. It's at the Palace in Auburn Hills. And I know you've got to worry about tomorrow night's game against Denver and then the game against Indiana and then Orlando. But that has to be one you circled on the calendar when the, the schedule came out. It has to be one that you're really looking forward to. That was the very first game I looked for when the schedule was released. I didn't look for any other game. I didn't look at anything. I just looked at when we played at Detroit. So it's definitely one that's circled on the calendar. But, you know, like you said, it's – we have three tough games coming up here at home, and, you know, we've already dropped a couple at home. And one thing you have to do if you're going to be a great team is defend your home court. So, you know, we're building towards greatness. That's what we want to be as a team, as a, as an organization. So, you know, we have to take care of our home court. So these next three games is very vital to us. It's very important to me. And, you know, I worry about Detroit when we're on our way to Detroit. But as of right now, you know, I am excited to get back there and play a game. But we have to take care of what we have to take care of at home first. Then I'm going to have to ask you, I think, uh, when we land in Detroit about what that feeling is going to be like, so we'll put that on the pregame show at the Palace. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, Draymond, I really appreciate your time today uh, going above and beyond duty, uh, helping us out here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, and I look forward to seeing you out there tomorrow night when the Warriors take on Denver. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. My thanks to the Warriors' exuberant rookie, Draymond Green. But I want to go back to draft night on our draft special show. We download online at iTunes and go back to listen to the excitement of draft night when the Warriors picked up Festus Azili, Draymond Green, and, of course, Harrison Barnes with the number seven pick of the 2012 draft. I had a chance to talk with Draymond's college coach, Tom Izzo. He talked about Draymond Green, the person, and also how he used him his senior year for the Michigan State Spartan. We just talked to Draymond, and, and uh, it's just an exciting day for, for a young man. That had to be a lot of fun for you. Well, it was a lot of fun for me. You know, I, uh, I, uh, you, you get to a place like that, you watch a kid grow, and he's got better every year. I think I think you guys got to steal. I really do. I think he's a perfect fit for a Mark Jackson kind of coach, and I think you're going to love him. You're going to really love him because he's a great interview. He's a great kid, and uh, the guy can win. Well, if he has any of the heart and the winning aspects of uh, a guy from Michigan State we had a while back named Jay Rich, then uh, he's yeah. going to do just fine then. Now, Jay, Jay Rich texted and said, God, at least Golden State loves those Michigan State guys. But, you know, I talked to the guys from Golden State from uh decent amount this week. And, uh, you know, if I had to be honest with you, I, 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 I think uh, I, I expected Draymond to go in the first round. Uh, a couple of trades and a couple of little things, I think, changed that. But uh, I also think he landed with the right team, and that's what normally happens, you know, somehow, some way. So I'm hoping that he's going to fit in well there. And, uh, oh, he's got a heart you now. He's got a big heart. And, uh, he competes, and uh, he's a damn good player. So I think he's going to be great for you. Coach, when you uh, look at some of the draft stuff on NBA Draft Net, they mentioned that he's the ultimate glue guy. Why is he such a good team player? Well, he, you know, I've had a couple of guys uh, that work. Jay Rich was one of the hardest workers I ever had. The uh, team Cleves. And, and yet Draymond Green is one of the best leaders I ever had, one of the best chemistry guys. I think sometimes the NBA, you know, I get tired of hearing how college is one way and the NBA is another. I think on the great teams, Chemistry is uh, an incredibly valuable commodity, and uh, I think he brings it. I think he'll be one of the best teammates you ever had in that city. I, I really mean that. I know I'm sounding a little bit crazy here on, on, a, on a strong statement, but uh, the guy just knows how to win, and he knows how to get along with people. And uh, and right now, I think that is more valuable than uh, than gets credit for. It, at least it was. I know it was with us. You know, we, we had a team two years ago that was pretty talented and, you know, had an okay year. And last year, maybe not quite as talented, had a great year, and he was 90% of it. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I've, I've broadcast a, a number of games where a team with less talent and better chemistry have beaten a team with, with better players. And, and for, for Draymond, what kind of a, a skill set will he bring to the Warriors? You know, he's a versatile player. I mean, sometimes I played him at the point. He's 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 not a great athlete, and it seems like that's all they look for in the draft now. But he knows how to play, and that's what I look for. And he he really has a great understanding of the game. He's a 
great passer. He's an adequate shooter from college three-point range, shot almost 40%. And I think with his shot and the way he's gotten better every year, he'll he'll be a good stretch guy on that. Um, he, uh, I think he's a you know not the athlete like some, but more in a Shane Battier type that has a great understanding of the game. So he he uh, he, he excels defensively because of anticipation, understanding the scouting reports, things like that. Uh, so I think you're getting a guy that can do a lot of different things and uh, then bring the character issues uh, off the charts. you got 412 wins on your resume, six Final Fours. Uh, where does Draymond Green fit in with some of the guys you've had an opportunity to coach? Well, ironically, you know, uh, Draymond's been uh, part of the reason for two of the Final Fours and three of the Big Ten championships and uh, – you know, almost a hundred of the wins. So he's been a big part, you know, and um, it's kind of fun, as you said, to have a guy like Jay Rich who came out early and uh, did such a great job. And then uh, Gene Cleaves was my other guy. And so I put him right in that, uh, you know, two, three, four guy as the greatest players I've coached. And uh, I think uh, I think you're going to be, like I said, tickled to death to have him around. Well, Coach, we know in the NBA that when if a Michigan State guy is on the roster of a team, we know he's got some good heart. We know he plays defense and he plays the game the right way. And you're a credit to the sport, and I thank you for taking some time with us. Well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. And I'll, be, I'll definitely be a Warrior fan. My buddy Mariucci still is out in San Francisco, so I'm sure I'll get out to see him play uh, either before my season starts or after, and I'll look forward to it. Meeting you then. I think uh, Mariucci wants you to come out and play some bocce. I think uh, I've come out to that bocce ball. Won it with John Madden one year, so uh, I, I might have to take you on sometime. All right, thanks, Coach. See you, Tim. So you get two interviews for your buck right there, Draymond Green, and of course his college coach Tom Izzo of Michigan State. The Holiday Hoops mini plans are back, and they're brought to you by Jamba Juice. Four game packages feature all the Warriors' marquee matchups, including the Lakers, the Miami Heat, or a special superstar pack featuring Boston, New York, Houston, and Oklahoma City. Get your Holiday Hoops plans tonight and receive a $10 Jamba Juice gift card. Go to Warriors.com or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP and press option number 1. As we continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, the Warriors give back to the Bay Area during this holiday season. And this week, it's an event with Steph Curry on KMBR 680, the sports leader. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. Don't forget Warriors and the Denver Nuggets tomorrow night. 7 o'clock is our airtime out at Oracle Arena. Should be a lot of fun. I'll be joined by Jim Barnett from the television side with our coverage tomorrow night. This past Monday, Warriors guard Stephen Curry participated in the Tenderloin Community School Awards Assembly. It honored students that have made a positive impact in their community over the last year. Stephen spoke to the students about the importance of education and community service. He also handed out some awards and, of course, uh, took some pictures. And it's all part of the Warriors' 15 Plays for the Holidays campaign, as each of the Warriors' 15 players will participate in at least one event this holiday season. Continue to be great listeners, continue to work hard in everything that you do. When you're in the classroom, whether you understand something right away or not, stick with it. Um, because everybody knows that you know, learning and education is the most important thing for you to do. Because I, I, I heard that same lesson when I was in, you know, uh, in elementary school back in North Carolina. And just knowing that um, education is the first way to better yourself. And um, you know, when all things else fail, you can, that's the one thing you can't fall back on. Um, I know a lot of kids have, have dreams of being entertainers, being basketball players, uh, athletes, what have you, but that they understand that you know, education does come first, that you can't do those other things without your education. And, um, it'll take you a lot further than, uh, than, that, than anything else will. So that's, that's a, a good message for a kid to hear. I think it means like how he cares about us and actually showed up and came. So I think it really means a lot for him to actually hand out our awards. 
Good job. Congratulations. There you go. Are you kidding? It's absolutely fantastic. First of all, children love recognition. They love to be motivated and they love to be recognized for attendance, academics, sports, reading, everything. Because the school is, you know, we're working to build the whole child. And it's important that we recognize the students for what they do. And the kids were getting bused to many, many, many different schools in different parts of the neighborhood. And now the majority of our population is walking. 60% um, are still living in the Tenderloin. The other 40% are just north of uh, South Venice. And it, it's really a community effort. Uh, the families know each other and they, they come here for generations now. He's appreciating the work that we're doing here and making us like want to go forward in life. So whatever we want to do, we can play basketball or do something cool too. Just expanding their horizons is so powerful. Um, just helping them to see. There are doorways beyond your apartment, beyond your street, beyond the Tenderloin where we live and that you too might end up going through one of those doorways later in life. Whatever dreams you have and whatever you want to do, education comes first and it's definitely the most important thing. For us to be able to um, you know, show up and uh, just encourage kids uh, Whatever way we can, definitely, uh, will hopefully go a long way. And you, you have to use uh, your ability to get kids excited um, for positive things. And I think that's uh, what, what we're trying to do today, what today is all about. Rush puts it on the floor, drives down the lane, hammer slam, landed one. Golden State Warriors basketball. Now back to the Budweiser pregame show. We continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable line. Tim Roy, glad you're with us. Warriors and Nuggets tomorrow night, 7 o'clock the airtime on KMBR 680. Don't forget, you can join Harrison Barnes and the Warriors for the second annual GSW tweet-up. That's all part of tomorrow night's game. Buy your tickets and have the chance to attend a special post-game Q&A with Harrison. Plus, the first 500 also receive a free Harrison Barnes tweet-up t-shirt. For more information, go to warriors.com slash tweet-up or call one triple eight GSW hoop and press option number one. I Tim Roy. Time now to go to Twitter with Warriors Vox, Warriors V O X. You can fire me questions there, or go to the uh, Warriors website and send me an email at the TJ Roy. It's TJ R O Y E at warriors.com. We've got some good questions. Of course, one of the topics of the week has been Andrew Bogut and what's happening with his recovery from the ankle. There was initially a report last weekend that said he might play Saturday. Andrew has said, no, uh, that's not going to happen this weekend. He wants to make sure that his ankle is completely healed and strong before he hits the floor. In fact, at today's practice, Bogut addressed the press. There was never any... Um any pressure from within the organization, the pressure's on me, from me, myself. You know, I got, I got traded here in a, in a big trade. And I want to be out there and help my team and, and play basketball games. That's what I'm paid to do. So the pressure never came from anybody. I mean, um, for reports to come out and say that Bob or Coach or, you know, the owners have said, you know, getting back on the court, it's, it's been the complete opposite. The pressure that's been put on me has been strictly been put on me by myself. You know, I'm an athlete, I'm competitive, and I want to be out there and I want to play. Um, did I probably rush back a little bit? Maybe, but I needed to test it out and see, you know, how, how it responded to being, you know, in an NBA environment. And obviously, it didn't respond well. So, as far as timelines go, we're not going to set any more timelines just because, you know, we tend to set timelines and then you guys come into that timeline and, and start asking questions, which is your job. And, you, you know, you have every right to do that. And I think right now, it's just, you know, once it's ready, it's ready. Once the doctors and the, and the trainers here all feel that it's strong and it can sustain, you know, the level of play in an NBA game, that's when I'll be back on the floor. I hope that answers a couple of questions that we got today. One from Karis One, who says, what kind of contribution will Bogut make this year? And uh, when will Bogut get into a game from Legal Snoop? So uh, hopefully that uh, clarified some of it, at least for the short term, as to when Andrew Bogut is going to be on the floor as a Golden State Warrior. 
Thank you for all your questions. We try to get as many as we can, and we'll try to answer some questions on our postgame show tomorrow night after the Warriors take on the Denver Nuggets. And don't forget, fans, you can get your tickets in the Lucky Pepsi Zone at Oracle Arena by shopping at your local Lucky store. Buy three 24-packs of any Pepsi product in a single transaction and receive a coupon for two free Warriors tickets. This is a limited-time offer, and it's valid at participating Lucky locations. For more information, including those store locations, go to warriors.com slash lucky Pepsi zone. When we come back, Warriors in Denver tomorrow night, third meeting in 20 days between the two ball clubs, and then a preview of the next three games as the Warriors entertain Indiana on Saturday, Orlando on Monday, and of course head out for that season-long seven-game road trip, starting with a game at the Palace in Auburn Hills, where the Warriors take on the Pistons. That is next, our previews, when we continue on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Up and good, David Lee getting to wherever he wants to go on the floor and knocking everything down. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. We continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. The Warriors entertain the Indiana Pacers on this homestand. And Mike Wells of the Indianapolis Star has been covering the Pacers for a number of years. And Mike, nice win for the Pacers last night down in L.A. How are they surviving the Danny Granger injury. They're, they're doing it with uh, by playing team basketball. It's not about one player trying to shoulder the load. You know, one game it could be Paul George going off for 37 points, nine three-pointers, or just David West, you know, uh, going off for 30 points against the Washington Wizards, or as we saw last night against the Lakers, it was George Hill down the stretch with two key buckets, including the game winner with a, a tenth of a second left on the clock. They, they know there's no replacing Danny Granger. It's a matter of staying tied together and, you know, basically treading water until Granger comes back and, you know, win games that some people probably thought they shouldn't win, like like against the Lakers, and also protecting home court. If they can do that, uh, you know, they think they'll be fine, especially when you're in the Eastern Conference where you're really never out of the playoffs until, like, you know, the second week of April. This Pacers team seems to have a good group there, and, and they seem to, to play well under, under Coach Vogel. What has he done to help facilitate that? He has, pre- has preached uh, one of the things he does before every game on the on the uh, dry erase board. He always puts the word togetherness up there. You know, he wants his players to stay together, and you know that's the best way to do it. Do, you know, obviously they don't have a Dwight Howard, a Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, LeBron James on down the line. They got to say it's it's we have to bond together as a team, and that's his message every single game is togetherness, and that's you know that's where you give Vogel gets a lot of credit for the fact that you know despite losing games they probably shouldn't lose, blowing double digit leads, he's not letting his team fall apart. Roy Hibbert really is starting to mature into a very nice center in this league. Doesn't get a lot of recognition maybe league wide as much as he should. But he really shows up, especially in a game like last night. Oh, the thing about the thing about Roy is, um, you know, he struggled offensively all season. I think, you know, he's he's trying to, you know, live up to that fifty-eight million dollar contract. But where he's been consistent at the entire season is on the defensive end of the court. He's gonna re- he's gonna rebound and he's also gonna defend and block a lot of shots. Um, you know, once his offense gets going, they'll be fine. Um, you know, he fouled out against the Lakers trying to guard Dwight Howard and everything. But when he was on the court, he definitely had a presence on the defensive end. And that's where the thing, you know, if if Roy has to play on one end better than the other end, it, the Pacers will definitely take it on the defensive side of the ball. What do you see with Paul George? He, he's very intriguing. Yeah, I think you, you just nailed it on the head. Intriguing. It's one game he looks like he is going to be the face of this franchise, the best all-around player, the guy that can do it on both ends of the court. But then the next game, you know, you, you get a sense like, all right, does this guy really realize how good he is? Because he doesn't have that, you know, I like to say that pit bull mentality where he knows he's the best player on the court once he steps on there. And uh, I think that's the thing that's going to take, you know, it's going to take some time. If you look at the history of uh, a lot of players outside of, obviously, you know, some of the best ones, being the LeBron and Wade, most players really take their game to the next level in between the third and fourth season. Uh, you know, Paul's obviously, he's in his third season so I think next year is going to be where he really you see that significant leap now you're getting the inconsistent Paul George like I said one game he's good next game you know he can't put the ball in the ocean has George Hill taken a, a step forward and is he solidly the the starter ahead of DJ Augustine Oh, oh, without a without a doubt, uh, for a couple of reasons. A, the Pacers gave uh, once they gave George Hill a, a, a 
five-year, $40 million contract over the summer. That that showed their faith in him and basically told Darren Collison, we'll see you later. Um, thanks, thanks for playing with us. And when DJ Augustine came aboard, it was the fact that you're coming in as George Hill's backup. There's, you're not going to be the starter. And quite honestly, Augustine's been you know, somewhat of a disappointment. I mean, he's not playing with that same aggressiveness that he played with during his career in Charlotte. You know, he's more passive and he's more feeling his way out, out there on the, uh, on the court. So, yeah, it's, it's clearly without question George Hill's team. Does anyone in the NBA have a better scowl than David West? No. I mean, <laughs> hey, if I ever had to go walk up a, a sketchy alley and um, and uh, and I was worried about somebody might jump out and get me, David West is going to be on my side. No, I'm, take, I'm taking him with me, and uh, I'm going to go from uh, being probably 75% scared to maybe 2% scared. And check a, give us a little uh, checkup with Brian Shaw. He's an East Bay guy, Oakland kid and a guy we always like to keep track of. Uh, when is he going to be hired as a head coach in this league? You know what? If I knew that, I would be playing the Powerball numbers and winning $500 million and retiring <laughs> um, uh, pretty soon. That's, that is that is seriously like a $5 million question. Shaw has interviewed a number of times but hasn't been able to get a job. Some of the jobs just didn't turn out well. Obviously, you know, he, he was going to interview for the Orlando job, but when it became obvious that Dwight Howard was going to be traded – why would you want to go be part of a rebuilding process? So it's he's gonna get he's gonna get a shot, and I think Shaw deserves a lot of credit for uh, the Pacers going to the second round of the playoffs last season. He's helped out with the player development, and he's helped um, Frank Vogel out, who is a uh, you know rather young coach in the NBA. Mike Wells, thank you so much for updating us on the, the Pacers, and you can follow Mike Wells on Twitter by going to uh, Mike Wells uh, NBA. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Our thanks to Mike Wells of the Indianapolis Star for previewing the Pacers on Saturday night, the 7.30 start, uh, 7 o'clock airtime on KMBR 680. Then the Orlando Magic come to town on Monday night, and again, a 7 o'clock airtime on KMBR 680 to help preview the Magic. Josh Robbins of the Orlando Sentinel is online, and Josh, the old uh, baseball adage was you can't tell the players without a scorecard. I think in the NBA parlance, that's true this year. Uh, with this Magic roster, true, true. I I can't uh, identify ten of the of the fifteen players on the roster, and I cover them dated. No, I. You're <laughs> you're exactly right. Heading into this season, it was, uh, it's different. There's no question about it. The, the organization is different from top to bottom. Really, tell me a little bit about the plan. What is the plan right now for the Magic? Well, I think the the it, it's multi. It's a multifaceted plan. First of all, uh, I. Ultimately, they're going to have to try to find some way to land a star player. It's the same thing that every other franchise uh, in the league is trying to do outside of the elite teams. And the question is, how do they do that? Uh, Are they going to be so terrible this season that they might be able to gain a a top two or three pick in the lottery? Maybe. Uh, Although I doubt that they'll be that that bad. Uh, They are trying to develop... Uh, their youngest players, and right now I'm not sure that they have a a first or second year player who projects to be a perennial all star. I think uh, not necessarily next summer, but the summer after that, 2014, uh, they're going to try to uh, make a splash in free agency, maybe offer uh, a superstar player a max deal, at least the right superstar player. So. Those are kind of the avenues they have, and at least for them, they play in a warm-weather climate, and the ownership of the team is willing to spend money to win. What happens to guys that have been around for a while, guys like Hedo Turkoglu and Al Harrington and Jameer Nelson? Well, I think that Hedo is not really tradable uh, right now. I, I, I just don't, don't see that happening. Uh, Al Harrington will, once he gets healthy from the staff and from the staff infection that ravaged his right knee over the summer, will be an attractive trade piece for a contender. Uh, but he has to show that he's fully healthy first, and he's still a ways from getting back onto the court. Jameer Nelson has two more seasons after this one uh, at approximately eight million next year, about uh, eight and a half million. The year after that, that is maybe either a quarter to a halfway guaranteed. And so I think he's here for, for a while. And so 
uh, having him on the floor has made a big difference. He missed six of the Magic's first seven games because of uh, some muscle strains, but he's back now. Uh, but in terms of Al Harrington, uh, his, his future, it's going to be interesting to follow uh, before the trade deadline. Josh, when you look at this roster, and I know it's, we haven't even hit the quarter poll yet, but uh, I, to me you would have to like decide and discern who are the keepers, who are the guys that are going to stay, that when they try to go after that superstar, as you outlined before, who are the guys they want to build around? Who would those players be from your best guess? Well, I think that they, they think very highly of a couple of their youngsters. Uh, despite you know, my prediction that these aren't necessarily perennial all-stars, you know, maybe, maybe they can develop there. But you know, they like uh, Maurice Harkless, who was the 15th overall pick. He's a six foot eight uh, wing who was originally drafted by the Sixers, came to the Magic in the Dwight Howard trade. Uh, he's, he's only 19 years old, played just one year of college ball at St. John's. Uh, he's got great potential defensively, very good potential as a rebounder offensively. His skills are still very raw. Uh, another player who they're high on is seven-foot center Nick Vucevic, also came in from Philly in that Howard trade. Uh, he's got a, a, a pretty advanced skill set offensively. He's 22 years old. He rebounds well. Where he needs to improve is, uh, is defensively and with his consistency. He needs to get a little tougher also. Uh, he could potentially be a, a, a nightly double-double guy if he develops, and that's the question. How well will these guys develop? They also have uh, the 17th, or excuse me, the 18th overall pick, Andrew Nicholson, a six foot eight, six foot nine uh, power forward who can really score. But you know, he needs to add some muscle. He needs to improve defensively and as a rebounder. So those are three of the young guys that they are uh, optimistic with. What's the uh, big baby story right now? Glenn Davis is, is getting the chance he always wanted. He's a starter. Uh, he's going to remain a starter. He is a team co-captain. Uh, he seems to have embraced uh, the expectations that Jacques Vaughn, the new coach, has for him. Uh, he is uh, doing well as a leader in terms of setting an example. Uh, that said, uh, is he a guy who can be a primary scorer on a good team? I Jury's out on that, and many of the nights where the Magic do don't do well are nights where Glenn struggles shooting the ball, and he's giving up some height to other power forwards, and uh, sometimes his shot selection isn't very good. So for him, uh, he's making progress uh, as a leader, but on the court, uh, he needs to improve his shot selection, and he also needs to get into a little bit better shape. Now, the Magic, when they hired Jacques Vaughn as their head coach, how did that go over with, with the fan base? He's young. He's been under some very good coaches, obviously, when he's worked for Greg Popovich, played for Jerry Sloan. Uh, but, but, but what was the reaction to the hiring of Jacques Vaughn? Well, it was separate from the reaction to the firing of Stan Van Gundy, and Stan was, was and is, uh, remains a very highly respected coach here, a very well-liked coach. He almost had almost had a cult following, and he produced results. Now, as for Jacques, uh, it, he's also, uh, I think, uh, well-regarded among the fans, but you know, he, he does not really have a track record yet, but I think the team has gotten better from uh, when he inherited it, really, October 1st, and it will be almost as interesting to see how he develops uh, between now and the end of the season as some of their young players. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting too because you know at least in 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 uh, for Jacques Vaughn, he's you know he's not gonna be judged on wins and losses the first year or so, maybe in the first two years because of the fact that everybody knows this is a complete rebuilding job. That's right, and I think that the Magic now are placing more emphasis than ever before on trying to develop young players. For example, two members of the five-man uh, coaching staff, or excuse me, the six-man coaching staff, if you include Jacques are solely devoted to developing players, player development coaches. Uh, they're available any time of the day. If, let's say a young guy wants to come in and shoot at uh, 1 a.m., well, they're on call to do that. And even some of the practices really are only geared toward the first and second year players, of whom the Magic have nine, nine guys in their first or second years. So uh, those are kind of practices where 
players can just ask questions. You know, how do I defend the pick and roll? Uh, how do I, you know, where should I be when an opponent does this? And so I think that is one of the primary ways in which Jacques will be judged. And I think some of these young guys already are starting to make some modest strides. And, you know, where are they around uh, late April? Well, uh, that will be really interesting to see. Before I let you go, I have to ask you this question. This, this one has kind of bugged me all summer and into the fall here. Everyone got on LeBron James' case when he made the decision. We all know it was a PR nightmare, and, and he should not have done that. And, and he should have just went to Miami and held a standard press conference and moved on. Uh, but to me, how does Dwight Howard get this hall pass from what he did in Orlando? Because... What he left in his wake was a, almost a total, not total destruction of a franchise, but, but a number of people out of jobs and, and, you know, looking for work, all because he kind of couldn't make up his mind. I mean, how does, he, how does he skate away like that? Well, I don't think he has. I think here in Orlando, he, he's persona non grata, which is just a, a 180-degree shift in the way he was received uh, at this time a year ago, I mean, before his trade request, before he made his trade request, before uh, the Sentinel reported his trade request, uh, where he sh- the one area where he should be applauded is for at least being up front with the Magic. He, he told them at first, at first, uh, that there was no way he'd, he he wanted to be traded. He wanted to be he wanted to leave. Where it got cloudy was that he did go back and forth after that, and it, it put the organization, it put the coaches put his teammates, put the fans of the team in this perpetual purgatory that for them and for Dwight was very, very painful. And when he finally got traded, a lot of Magic fans were happy to at least see it come to some resolution, but they realized that the franchise is now in a complete and total rebuild. And so around these parts here in Central Florida... He's, he is not well-liked, which a year ago I could not have envisioned, but this is the case now. Josh, if people want to follow you on, on Twitter, how will they do it? Well, they go to uh, Joshua B., as in uh, Barry, <laughs> not that that's my middle name, Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S, and uh, they can see the Sentinel's magic coverage at orlandosentinel.com. My thanks to Josh Robbins of the Orlando Sentinel. That's the final game of the homestand for the Warriors, and they head out on the road to take on the Detroit Pistons. That's going to be next Wednesday night at the Palace in Auburn Hills, 4 o'clock your airtime on KMBR uh, 680. To help us look at the Pistons, Vincent Goodwill of the Detroit News joins us here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy and, and Vincent. Uh, obviously, the Pistons not getting off to the kind of start uh, that they wanted. Uh, there are obviously a couple of very interesting big players on this roster, but give me your overall, uh, you know, first 10, 15 game assessment of the Pistons. Well, Tim, right now, they're really trying to, to find themselves, obviously, as you would think with a, a team with a 4 11 record it has so far. You know, they really have a couple of building blocks that you just alluded to. Greg Monroe, obviously, is a couple steps ahead of uh, rookie Andre Drummond, but those two together, especially in a league that's getting smaller with you see the front lines in Boston and Miami and New York. You got the Pistons who are trying to maybe buck the trend a little bit with potentially pairing Drummond and Monroe in the front court, two seven-footers, one is a more, more of a scoring big in terms of uh, Greg and, and Andre Drummond, just an explosive athlete who can rebound, block shots, and you know really play above the rim. Right now they haven't played that much together. Lawrence Frank, uh, the second-year coach, is really trying to bring them along uh, slowly, and of course, that has some fans wondering about the patience level of it. But other than that, you know, once you start from there, you're wondering about Brandon Knight. Is is he a legitimate point guard? And you know, looking at from Stephen Curry, there's almost similar in ways where where Stephen was really a, a score coming out of Davidson. Same thing for Brandon Knight, except Steph had a couple more extra years of experience and obviously difference in skill sets. And that's really been the gist of their issues, aside from you know, starting off 0-8 and going out west after the first game of the season and losing every game on that trip, I think that would be tough for any team, especially a young team, uh, to start the season off without getting the chance to develop any type of continuity. So, you know, once you go from there, they've been playing solid basketball since then, shuffling guys in and out of the lineup in a rotation, trying to find the right mix. 
And, you know, by the time that game, this game rolls around, you know, 20, 25 games into it, I think you should have a more accurate assessment of what this team is or, or more, more importantly, what this team isn't. There has been some grumblings about Lawrence Frank. What is, what is that all about? Well, the grumblings were kind of just more so out of frustration after losing to Orlando twice in a span of five days. And there's not many times the Pistons can step on the floor and say, we have more talent than the team across from us. Orlando is one of those teams that although you know Orlando is young and they're rebuilding, the Pistons can say, we have two of the better, we have the best two players on the floor in terms of Greg Monroe and then Rodney Stuckey, but losing twice twice to those guys, uh, giving up a double-digit lead in the first meeting and then just getting their doors blown off in the second one, led some of the, most notably Tayshaun Prince, a guy who's been vocal uh, behind the scenes about wondering about not necessarily the rotations, but wondering about you know how a competitive game got out of hand in a matter of minutes and how they could almost go a whole quarter without scoring. You know, I don't think it was necessarily grumbling about, you know, Lawrence Frank as a whole. I think it was more so just the frustration of that evening combined with losing three and four uh, home games where you had double-digit leads in the second half. That's almost unheard of even early in the season for a young team. you got to find a way to pull those type of games out. And when you don't win those type of games combined with an 0-8 start, it really gets guys wondering what, what in the world is going on. Yeah, it's interesting. You you point out that Western trip. Their schedule to the moment has been pretty tough. This has been has not been an easy run for them. No, not at all. And you after the first game, the first game of the season, you're playing Houston days after the James Harden trade, so you don't really have a lot of tape on them. And on the other hand, you know Houston didn't have a lot of time to acclimate Harden to the system, so it seems like they only ran four or five plays. But those four or five plays were able to beat the Pistons in the fourth quarter when they had a double digit lead. You know, obviously going out to L.A. and giving Mike Brown his last win as Laker coach, I'm quite sure that was a gift to Pistons. I'd rather not giving them. But, you know, they played some tough teams early, playing Houston twice, playing Oklahoma City twice. You know, that would be tough for any team, especially a, a young team like the Pistons, to come out of, you know, and playing Golden State, a team that's on the rise, a team that's above 500, leading, leading the Pacific Division right now. Whether that's at home or away, that's not going to be an easy, uh, an easy game either. Let's talk a little bit about a couple of the guys. Uh, well, first of all, have the Pistons used their amnesty? No, they have not used the amnesty clause. They can use it this summer, uh, obviously on Charlie Bill and the way, but for the last year of his deal. Uh, a lot of people were surprised or upset that they didn't use it this year. This summer it didn't really make a lot of sense because they were already over the cap, and his $8 million wouldn't have brought them under the cap to be able to sign anyone of consequence. Now, coming this summer, you know, his eight and a half, around point eight and a half, eight point six million dollars. If they wanted to, it would be in addition to the extra to the twenty million that they'll have in cap space this summer, where they can really maneuver, do some stuff in the trade market, do some stuff potentially in free agency. And I think if as long you know, building the way, but doesn't continue on the pattern of playing that he has thus far, you know, I think that's a very real possibility that they'll use the clause and just uh, get the extra money and see what they can do with it. You know, one of the interesting stories, and we talked about the bigs, which I think is the, the, the big story of that team, and no pun intended, Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond, just too young. And, and you know, the, certainly there's a lot of a ceiling there for those guys to grow into. But the other little story is kind of nice, a little sidebar story, is Kyle Singler. He's, he's playing well, and he, he's taking some minutes away from guys who, who you would have thought would have been solidly ahead of him. You're absolutely right. And the thing was, the, the one concern I had about Singler – coming out of college when they drafted him a year ago because he spent a year in Spain during the lockout, I wasn't sure he could shoot the NBA three. A lot of times moving a, a foot a foot back or a step back from the college line really messes with guys. He shot around 40% at Duke, and right now he's taking excellent shots. That's, that's the thing. He's making 50% of his shots and shooting around 45 from three. And for a rookie, that's unheard of. He's playing really, really smart basketball playing within himself. He knows the plays. He knows where he's supposed to be. And the energy level when he's on the floor, you know, playing with a guy like Greg Monroe who's able to spot the open man and Kyle Singler is a guy who's perpetually in motion, that type of combination, that can work even if they even if they haven't played on the floor much together. So him coming off the bench or, coming up, or starting as he is, starting at two guard, taking the place of Rodney Stuckey, who personally requested to go to the bench, you know, it's really worked. And, and subtly, it helps a guy like Brandon Knight, who's trying to learn the nuances of playing the point guard spot, because unlike Rodney Stuckey, 
singular doesn't hold the ball. He can be very decisive in his decisions, and he moves around quickly, and that's so much easier for a point guard to work around, you know, looking for an open man when an offense gets stagnant, if a guy can cut, move around, and make himself available. And Singler's done basically everything that's been asked of him. I would venture to say he's probably one of the top five rookies in the league so far. If, if Rodney Stuckey's your third guard, you're okay? If Rodney Stuckey is engaged and he's your third guard, he's okay. You're okay. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. he's if yep. he's fully invested and he's really into it, you know, I think Rodney Stuckey talent-wise could be one of the top five, you know, top ten, two guards in the league, but he hasn't shown it on a night-in, night-out basis. So you're wondering which Rodney Stuckey you're going to get on a, consist- on a consistent basis. But when he's engaged and he's your third guard, I fully agree with you. On, the, on both ends of the floor because he's probably their best two-way player uh, on offense and defense. So, yeah, I would say if he's a third guard, yeah, you're in a pretty good spot. Now, i got to give a shout-out to a guy. We, we had him for like 15 games. I think it was back in 05 or 06 in, in that, that season. And this guy just plays hard every second. And he's not, not a great player by any stretch of the imagination. But Will Bynum, and you put him on the floor, you know you're going to get 100% effort. This kid just works hard. Yeah, that's because his and, and you know from him being there for ten or fifteen games, his role was so hard. You know, playing in Israel, transferring in college, you know, getting cut by Boston, and obviously you got, you know, it, it's it's it created a toughness in him that was already you know enhanced the toughness that was already there coming out of the mean streets of Chicago. And when he's out there on the floor, he's always playing like he's on a ten day contract, and he doesn't know if he's going to get cut or sent to the CBA or sent to the D League. He plays with so much energy, and a lot of times, you know, on the flip side of that, he can make mistakes and, and, you know, turnovers and bad shots and things like that. But he plays with so much energy, you take the good with the bad because he can create so much. He's, he's formed a nice little pairing with, with Drummond as far as on the screen roll, lobbing the ball up to him and getting Drummond easy baskets and easy opportunities. And he's such a, and he's a smart player. He can see things. You know whether he can get to that point or not is one is another thing, but he can see things ahead of, ahead of pace, and he's really really an energetic player. And if you if you're giving him 15 minutes a night, he's going to go out there and give you everything he's got. If you give him 48 minutes, which of course he would love to, but you know he's going to go out there and do everything possible from an energy standpoint to help you ball club. Vincent, how do people follow you to get more nuggets like that? How do they follow you on Twitter? <laughs> uh, on Twitter, I am uh, at V Goodwill, at V G O O D W I L L. Um, you know, pretty much, you're going to get a bunch of random NBA piston tidbits from me. I'm I'm pretty much all over the map uh, when it comes to the league because you know it's the league that I love and I really pay a lot of attention to. So yeah, and I uh, I do respond, I do interact with uh, with a lot of my followers too. So you know, feel free, questions, concerns, anything like that. Outstanding. Vincent, thank you for the chat. Look forward to seeing you at the Palace next week. Hey, see, look forward to it, man. See you soon. I don't believe it. I can't believe you're unbelievable. Unbelievable. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time now to look ahead to the upcoming broadcast starting with tomorrow night. Don't forget, it's Tweet Up Night featuring Harrison Barnes as the Warriors take on Danilo Gallinari and the Denver Nuggets. Gallinari looks pretty confident right about now. Harrington looks a little hungry. I don't know, I feel pretty confident about this here, people. Here we go. Nine seconds left. Denver will inbound it across the way, just past the 50-yard line. Gallinari gets the basketball from the referee. He looks in. He goes at the wing to Nene at the elbow. Eight seconds left. Hands it off in the corner to Gallo. Fadeaway three. Got it! Denver's in the lead by one. 3.9 seconds to go. Timeout Atlanta. Warriors Endeavor, 7 o'clock the airtime on KMBR 680. We'll be joined by Jim Barnett on the tomorrow night's contest. We move ahead to the game on Saturday night when the Warriors take on the Indiana Pacers and young rising star Paul George. Hibbert has it, sends it outside for George. Boom, baby! Welcome for Paul George. That is a team record ninth three-point basket for George. He has a career-high 37 points. Warriors and Pacers Saturday night, 7 o'clock the airtime on KMBR 680. And then the finale of the homestand where the Warriors take on the Orlando Magic. That's a Monday night, 7 o'clock airtime on KMBR 680. 
It's not our big baby. It's their big baby, Glenn Davis. He'll throw down to the right block. That's Davis. Big baby against Kufa. Step back, jumper, got it to go. Right in his face. He fades away and shoots the ball right in Kufa's face. Just to rub it in a little bit after he's given him a lesson in how to play the game tonight. It's a dynamic deal night when the Warriors take on Orlando. It's brought to you by Schnitzel. Buy your Warriors tickets and receive a free Warriors beanie. And then that long road trip starts for Golden State, a seven-game affair. It starts Wednesday night at the Palace in Auburn Hills, 4.15 the airtime on KMBR 680. As the Warriors will have to find a way to defend Pistons big man, Greg Monroe. Prince underneath, loose for the dunk. 106 to 95. The Portland defense broke down on that play inside a minute. And then the Warriors weekly roundtable back on its usual Thursday night time, 8 o'clock on December the 6th. Well, for the remaining games on the homestand, get your tickets early and save at warriors.com slash dynamic or call one triple gsw hoop I, Tim Roy, thanking all of our guests, including Draymond Green, Michigan State head coach Tom Izzo, thanking Mike Wells of the Indy Star for the preview on the Pacers, and Josh Robbins of the Orlando Sentinel, and Vincent Goodwill of the Detroit News for the previews on the Magic and the Pistons. Again, reminder that we'll be on the air next to Thursday, December 6th with the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. For Dave Feldhaus at the controls, for producer extraordinaire R.C. Davis, again, I'm Tim Roy saying good night and stay tuned here on our flagship station, KMDR 680, as Ray Woodson will take your calls and comments. Golden State Warriors basketball. It's a four-on-three. The trailer's Curry right side. Fires away. Three ball. For tickets, go to Warriors.com. Or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.